So Romans chapter 3, 21 to 26, according to Martin Luther, who was the, the key leader in the Protestant Reformation, he was the one who led that movement in the 16th century, he says that this is the chief point in the letter of Romans, which means it's the center of the whole Bible as well. Um, other preachers and pastors talked about the significance of this passage, how important this passage is when it comes to our understanding of the gospel. I love how one preacher, he said it. He said that um, Romans 3, verse 21 to 26 is like going to a Brazilian steakhouse where you have a lot of meat on skewers. And if you've been there before, you know that you have servers that are coming with all sorts of meat and they're just coming and coming and coming. And, and you have this green uh, kind of thing, round thing on your, on your table, and as long as you have that green thing on, uh, they're going to keep bringing the meat, the goodness. And so the pastor was saying that, you know, it just gets better and better and better. It's like gospel goodness time and time again. And so just be ready to feast on this goodness today. It could be overwhelming at times, uh, but just know that there's more to come. Don't give up in the middle uh, and just say you're full. So have open hearts and a hungry appetite um, for this word. The reason why this is so important is because I think this passage, it brings clarity to all of the questions that we have when it comes to salvation. For example, why can't God just forgive everyone? Right? If he's so good, if he is so kind, why can't he just say, I forgive you and move on? I mean, that's what a lot of us do in our personal life, that we say, I forgive you, and we move on with life. Why can't God do that? Another question that we can ask is, picture the worst human being that you know in your life. The person that hurts you. The person that wrongs you. Uh, I see some people looking at the person left and right. No, no, no. Uh, I'm talking about really uh, someone who you feel like, is undeserving of God's grace. And what the Bible says today is that that person has an opportunity to experience the gift of salvation. How do you feel about that? Like, how can God forgive someone who has committed so much wrong? So why doesn't God forgive everyone? Why does God forgive this particular person or at least give the option, make it available to this person? Another question that we could ask is, why specifically through the cross? Why is that so necessary? Why did Jesus have to go through all the trouble and the pain and the suffering in order to make a way for us? So there's so many questions that we have about salvation. And I think today's passage answers a lot of those questions. But before we jump into today's passage, we have to understand that this passage is part of a bigger argument, a bigger, um, a bigger letter. And so it says in verse 21, but now, which is a signal of transition. It's telling you that there's a contrast between what was said before and what is going to be said um, moving forward. So what has been said before? We kind of get the idea in chapter 1, verse 18. But right before that, in chapter 1, verse 16, it kind of gives you the thesis statement of the letter of Romans, the purpose why Paul is writing this letter. He wants to communicate that the gospel is incredible. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jews and then to the Greeks. And so that's really the purpose of the letter of Romans. He wants us to see that the gospel is something that we should boast about. The gospel is something that's beautiful and incredible. 
It's something that we should uphold. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's not just for particular people, but it's open to everyone, anyone. And so that's really the purpose statement. And why is this a big deal? Why do we actually need salvation? Why do we need the gospel? What well, it says in chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God, the righteous anger of God, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then he kind of goes on to explain the problem of sin. So that's really the first thing that we see in today's text is the problem of sin, the universal problem of sin. This is something that Paul has been building up starting in chapter 1. He says that although in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Everyone knows that God exists. He reveals himself, his attributes, his, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly perceived, it says in, in, in verse 20, that all creation is aware that God is, is there. And yet, it says in verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And so although people are aware of God's presence, the reason why they are unrighteous is because they don't acknowledge God as God. God as the creator. And that's a big problem. That God has wrath against the unrighteous. But it's not that he just has wrath against the unrighteous. People who are doing bad things and dishonoring him, living in rebellion against him. But he has wrath stored up against the self-righteous. The people who think they're okay. He's speaking to probably Israel, the Jews at this point, because they had this firm belief that based on my nationality, based on the giving of the law, because I'm blessed to be part of this covenant community, I'll be okay. But you flip and go to Romans chapter 2. He turns the tables and he begins to address not just the people who are ignoring God, but the people who are abusing God's grace. It says in verse 3 of chapter 2, Do you suppose, O man... You who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God. So um, the Jewish leaders, the religious people, they were living according to the law. But what they did was, uh, although they couldn't live up to the law, they were judging other people based on the law. And their biggest mistake was in verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So what the Jews did was they banked on the goodness of God. They said that because God chose Israel, because God blessed Israel, which he clearly did in the Old Testament, but they thought that because he simply chose us, he's always going to be good to us. And that's the mistake that they made. And it says in verse 5, you don't understand that God's kindness is going to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So two things. Number one, everyone is unrighteous before God. Uh, everyone is guilty of sin whether you are unrighteous because you ignore God, whether you are self-righteous and abuse God's grace, everyone has sinned and everyone is subject to God's wrath. There is a real punishment that is waiting um, people. 
And this is what, what uh, this is exactly what Paul is saying in, in today's passage in verse 23. Actually, at the end of 22, it says this, at the end of 22, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory. This is something that he's been developing even before this passage where it says in verse 9, chapter 3, What then? Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. And says in verse 10, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And you go down a long list of Old Testament quotations, simply speaking to the fact that there is no one who is righteous. All have sinned. Verse 18, it says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom, Proverbs says. And it says here that they have no fear of God. So they're walking in wicked, foolish ways. So really, in this first part of the letter of Romans, you have a problem called sin. That all has sinned. All is rightfully condemned because God is just and all is in need of, of salvation. So the problem of sin. Now, I, I think when we hear this, part of us, you know, we're kind of afraid, we're scared. But another part of us, we feel like it's not too big of a deal still. Like, even though it's quite clear in God's word, it's not too big of a deal. Why? I think for two reasons. Number one, we think that God's judgment can't be that bad. Right? Because he is good. Because he is kind. It can't be that bad. I mean, maybe you had a teacher like this where the teacher is super nice. Maybe your parents are super nice. And what you do is because you know that they're nice to you, because you know that they're going to be good to you, you feel like you can take advantage of that. You can do whatever you want to do. And somehow you'll talk to them later on. You'll come up with an excuse. You'll kind of convince them that it was actually not that bad. And in the same way, you feel like, well, if all of this is true, if God is absolutely good and kind, then when I see him face to face later on in life, stand before his judgment seat, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a plea. I mean, and even if he's going to punish me, it can't be that bad. Like, if a good, kind God punishes me, how bad could it be? So we underestimate the consequence of our, 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 our sins. But the second thing is this. Not only do we think the punishment is not going to be that bad, but we feel like we're actually not that bad. Right? That's the second thing that, that, that really hinders us from understanding the depths of, of sin because we know that God is going to see a lot of people on that judgment day. And out of the pack, we feel like we can be at least in the, in, in the upper half. Now, I, I'm not saying that I'm the best person in the world, but at least, like, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty decent. I'm, I'm okay. I love my family. I work hard in my job. I pay my taxes. I try not to lie. I try to be honest. I tip when I buy food. I live a decent life. I'm sure there are worse people than me. So I can make a case because, you know, God is going to see everyone. I'm sure that he has something for me at least. Like he's not the worst person that he's going to see on that judgment day. So we, we think that the judgment of God is not going to be that bad. Or we think that we're actually not that bad. And therefore, even though the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, it doesn't really hit us. Because somehow we still feel like we're going to be free from the wrath of God. That sin is not a big issue. But it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, 
without, without exception, that we are guilty before God, that we have rebelled against God. Uh, the essence of sin is not just that we did a couple bad things in our lives. It's not that we're just partially a bad person. But the essence of sin is that we have rebelled against God. That's the essence of sin, that the first commandment, there shall be no other God before you. You can't move past that first commandment before realizing that you have actually broke that first commandment. You don't even have to look at the rest of the nine and the ten commandments. Because on a daily basis, what you and I do is instead of worshiping the creator, we worship created things. Instead of giving honor and praise and glory to the God who deserves it all, we try to seek honor and praise for ourselves. Instead of giving thanks to God, we often are ungrateful for the things that we have. And isn't that what we see in the Garden of Eden, by the way? That Eve, although she had all these incredible fruits that were fruit that were available to her, instead of being thankful that that was made available to her, she looked at the one thing that she could not have. She became ungrateful. And, and as, as she's having this conversation with the serpent, eventually Eve realizes that she might not need God, that she doesn't have to make God God in her life, but she can be her own God. That was really the, the lie that was given to her, and she believed in that. And so we have a problem because we really have sinned against God. Sin, before it's an issue of comparison, it's an issue that you deal with before a holy God. The standard of our sin is, is, is not judged based on other people's sin. It's judged based on the holiness of God. Now, Pastor Tony Evans, he, he shares this illustration. Uh, there was two men. They were uh, on an island. Uh, and suddenly there's a volcano. So, you know, things are really dangerous at this point. Uh, they're trying to escape. And so lava is, 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 is flowing down. And they're realizing that they're surrounded with lava. But on the other side, uh, just, you know, uh, distance away, they see that there's safe ground. And they can get to that place. They feel like, okay, they're going to be safe. Now, the problem is, among these two people, there's an old guy or a younger guy. Or let's say a, a more experienced guy and <laughs> someone who is inexperienced, however you want to take it. Uh, so, so the older gentleman says, okay, I'm going to do this first. I've, I've been working out a lot. You know, I feel like I can do this. And so he leaps over the, the river of lava. And he, he made a good effort with all his strength, with all his might, full, full speed. He jumps and he falls into the lava. And he dies. Seeing that, the young guy says, well, old man, you know, you know, like, you know, all those years, like, you know, that weight is on your shoulders. I'm, I'm more healthy. I'm in better shape. I, I can run faster, jump, jump higher. And so he tries the same thing. He jumps towards the river. He goes further than the old guy, but still falls in the lava. And he dies. Now, the younger person made a better effort than the older person. But at the end, it did not matter. It didn't change the result. Why? Because it's not about how farther you can go than the other person. It's about can you make it across the other side. And that's the problem with sin. When you are comparing yourself with other people, you could feel better about yourself, good about yourself. But when you measure yourself to the standard of God, are you worthy to cross that river? 
the big separation that exists between a holy, righteous, awesome, loving, kind, just God and you, that you, can th- you think you can make that leap towards the other ground? Absolutely not. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in today's passage. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The standard is not how do you compare or measure up to other people. The standard is how do you measure up to a holy, righteous God? When we are talking about God's glory, God's kingdom, heaven is going to be a place full of God's glory, full of his goodness, a perfect place without sin, a perfect place that is absolutely pure. And, and what would happen if God allows you to enter into that place without addressing the issue of your sin? Then heaven will no longer be heaven. Like, do we really believe that we qualify to be part of God's kingdom based on what we have done and who we are? That's what Paul is saying, is there's no one that is righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That's the bad news. But here's the good news that we see in today's passage. It's the but now. But there's a transition. There's a contrast. Before There's no way for us in the law, based on our works, to actually deal with our sin, to be made right with God. But it says in verse 21, but now, although we have sinned and rebelled against God, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been displayed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So two things. Number one, this is apart from the law, meaning that it's not based on your works. It's not based on how good you keep the law. But the righteousness of God, God, his rightness is given to us not based on our actions or what we do. It's not something that you earn. But also notice that this is not a new idea that God is coming up with. But this has been the plan all from the beginning because although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament has been talking about this idea, how God, his righteousness will be displayed So how does this work? How can a loving, just God allow sinful, unloving people like us into his holy presence? How does that work? How does a just, holy God allow broken people like us to enter into his kingdom? And the only answer really is Jesus. You look at verse 22. Now Paul describes the righteousness of God. If it's not based on the law, It's something that was prophesied all from the beginning. What is this? It says in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So this is the righteousness of God. First of all, it is through faith. That's how you receive it. That's how you get access to it. It's not something that you earn based on your works. It's something that you receive based on what you believe. So faith is not the ground of salvation, but it's the means in which you are saved. Um, it's, It's the channel in which you receive this blessing. So it is through faith, but also notice that it is in Christ Jesus. It is in Jesus Christ. Now, this clarifies the issue that simply the act of believing is, is, is not good enough. A lot of people say, as long as you believe in God, as long as you believe that, you know, yeah, you agree that you have a problem in sin, like you're going to be okay. No, but notice that it's not necessarily the act of 
believing or the act of faith, but rather it's the object of your faith that's important. You believe you have faith in Jesus Christ. He is the object of your faith. He is the one who grants you the righteousness of God. So it is through faith, that's the means, in Jesus Christ, that's the source, and it's made available to all who believes. And we could have a problem with this, an issue with this, because that means the worst of the worst can even have a chance to repent, ask for forgiveness, and enjoy this incredible blessing of the gift of salvation. But notice that this, this gift is made available to everyone who is willing to believe. Just in case you missed it the first time, again, Paul is emphasizing the fact that it is through faith, not your own works, that you receive this blessing. So the problem of sin is, is solved in the works of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, he is the answer to the problem of sin. So that's the second point I want to make. We have a problem in sin, but we have a solution in Jesus Christ. So how does this work? How does Jesus become a solution? Remember, we're in a Brazilian steakhouse. It's keep coming. It's just getting better. It says in verse 24, and I encourage you, by the way, if you are able to, to write this down because we're going to look at some hard words. But I think if you are able to define these words, then you're able to understand really um, the, the mystery of salvation in a deeper level. It says in verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Again, it's a grace. It's something that's given to you out of, out of favor, not something that you earned through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So three words that we have to look at. Number one is justified. What does it mean to be justified? This is a legal term. In a court, the judge looks at your case and says you are either guilty or not guilty. To be justified, when it says you are justified, it means that although you have committed all these sins, God, who is the righteous judge, is going to tell you you are not guilty. The just God, the one who makes every right decision, he's going to look at you and me. If we have faith in Jesus, he's going to say, no, you're free to go. You're, you're not guilty. It's a status that, that's being communicated. What does this mean? Before, in our sin, we were guilty before God. But somehow, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified. We are made right. That we are called not guilty before God. Now, this is just not an idea. It's a way that God sees you. It's a change in status. Something has changed in your life because of Jesus, to the point where God is going to look at you differently and going to make a different judgment when it comes to how you lived your life. And again, this is something that you receive not by earning or bribing, but by grace. It's a gift that you receive. So that, that's a legal term, to be justified, to be made right. By the way, that word justified is a verb. Um, righteous is, is a noun, but if you look in the Greek, it's the same word. It's just a different form. So to justify means to make right too, okay? To justify means to make right. So you are made right by grace. It says in verse 24, the second um, word that we have to look at is redemption. Now, if justify was a legal term, redemption is a, a term that we use in economics, uh, in society, uh, especially in the first century. Um, this was a word that was used, especially when you go in debt. 
uh, when you can't pay your bills, uh, an option that you had was you could offer yourself as a slave, as a servant. You can try to work for someone uh, in a way to somehow maintain your status and, and to pay off your debt. And the problem is, until you pay back the person, you are under that person's service. So you are bondage to service. And so when the Bible is using the word redemption, it's saying that not only are we guilty before God, but it says we are bondage to something, that we are enslaved to something, sin and death. And so this is an economical term. And what needs to happen a lot of times is because, you know, just by being a slave and working as a bondservant, a lot of times you can't pay off your debt. You're kind of waiting for someone to come in and pay off your debt for you. And when someone is willing to pay the price that you owe, that's when you become free and your allegiance is now to that new master. And so redemption, there's a transaction. It's free for the slave, but it's not free for the one who's freeing the slave. And so what the Bible is communicating is this. In our sin, we're not just guilty before God, we're living in bondage to sin, to death, that we're set as a hostage, that, that we're constantly living without joy. Uh, we're, we're working in this world without any pleasure, true pleasure. It's like the, the Israelites who are living in Egypt. They're working endlessly, yet there's no fruit that was coming out, and yet Moses steps in and frees those people in the same way Jesus steps in. He pays the ultimate price. It costs everything really for him. But in, because of that price that he paid, we were able to be free from our sins without a payment. And so that's what it means to be redeemed by Jesus. It's free for us, but it's not free for God. And that's important to know that someone paid for your salvation. Um, Sometimes we, we go to um, meals, right, restaurants, and it's always the awkward time when the bill comes, right? You're trying to figure out, okay, is it proper for me to pick up the bill? Do we, uh, is it rude for me to say, hey, let's split the bill? Uh, but when someone picks up the bill and pays for your meal, you're like, man, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But you don't just consider that meal as free. You know that it was free for you, but a price was paid, and therefore you should be thankful and grateful. In the same way, Although salvation seems very free to us, we have to understand that was a, there was an incredible price that was paid on the cross by God because the price was that he would send his one and only son to die on the cross for our redemption. So redemption. But the last word is the word that really is going to bother you. In verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So what does this mean? Justify, redemption. Now the third word is propitiation. Now i never seen that word in any book until I read the Bible. So don't feel bad uh, uh, if you don't know this, know this word. Um, it's, it's this idea that you make a sacrifice in order to please someone, to, to lessen the anger of someone. A good example, especially in Jesus' time, would be that there are all these gods that people worship, these idols that people worship, and something bad happened in their lives, they would sacrifice something in their life in order to, because they thought, if something bad is happening in my life, God is angry at me. So I need to do something. The perfect example probably is, is, is Jonah, right? When he was running away from God, all of a sudden he's hit with this storm on a boat. And all the sailors, they're like, okay, whose fault is this? They, they understand that whatever God is out there, is it, that God is mad with us. Someone has done something really wrong. 
to make God mad. And Jonah steps up. He says, well, I'm actually running away from God, so throw me in the ocean. And the reason why everyone is able to throw Jonah over the boat with a clear conscience is because that's really what they believe, that they were making a propitiation for, for what was happening. They believe that if they don't do this, we're all going to die. So are we all going to die or just one person die? And, and Jonah, clearly, he said, I'm guilty. And so they made a propitiation. They throw Jonah off the boat, and the result is that the storm was calm. So that's kind of the idea, that God is angry at you, and a sacrifice is made to turn that anger away from you. And that sounds really wrong, right? Because when you use the word propitiation in salvation, you're saying that God is actually angry, that God is mad. And some people refuse to use this word. Some Bible translations actually don't use this word. They try to kind of water it down in a way because they can't get over the fact that God can be actually mad, that God is an angry God. But we know throughout the Old Testament that God, that he can get angry, that he can display his wrath. Two times already we have seen in the letter of Romans because of the unrighteousness and the self-righteousness of people, people are subject to the wrath of God. The difference between God's anger and our anger is our anger is spontaneous and a lot of times um, irrational. God's anger is not spontaneous. It's something that he displays after waiting and waiting and waiting. It's not out of control like our anger. It is absolutely in control because God clearly states that this is wrong. These are going to be the consequences. And if you continue to break my word and walk away from my ways, this is what's going to happen. And he gives exactly what people uh, were aware of. And so you see that on the cross, that God, he is displaying his righteous anger, but not towards people, but towards his son. And the reason why even this part is right is because the son was in full agreement with this plan. In the very beginning, Jesus said, the father's will, I will bear. Like, if it would be a wrong thing if God the father just put God the son in this position so that he would suffer and die. But the son was actually willing to, to go through this and said, hey, father, if this pleases you, if this is a way that I can make a way for everyone else, I'm willing to do it. And that's what makes this different. The other propitiations that are made in the ancient world were morally wrong because you are basically throwing someone off the boat or someone, right, um, in order to fulfill your own good. But the Bible says that when it comes to the propitiation of salvation, it's not that you're sacrificing something in your life. God is actually sacrificing something important in his life, which still makes this act really right and just. And so God treats Jesus, although he is not wrong, he treats Jesus as he is wrong on the cross, as a criminal Jesus was treated. And so here's the main idea. Uh, if you missed all this, just write this down. Here's the main idea. God treats those of us who have done wrong or are wrong, God treats those of us who are wrong as we are right. That's what it means to be justified. God treats those who are wrong as right by treating the right one as wrong. God treats us who are wrong as right by treating the right one, Jesus, as wrong. How in the world does this work 
where we sinners can be restored and redeemed and declared righteous before God is because God on the cross gave his son. Although he knew no sin, he became sin. He treated his son as a sinner so that sinners can be treated as sons. That's the beautiful reality of the gospel. And that's the sacrifice that Jesus made. And the question is, why in the world would God do this, go through so much trouble? Well, it says in verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, him refraining from, from enforcing something, he had passed over former sins. The only reason why you and I in our sin, the only reason why we were able to exist is because God his divine forbearance because he waits and waits and waits. Some people question God. You know, you see this in 2 Peter 3. There are people who question God. Where is your God? I mean, there's so many unrighteousness, so many people who are living in sin and God is doing nothing about it. And yet, what God says is it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm ignoring these problems. I'm just patient. If God was so angry, why didn't he destroy Adam and Eve in the garden? It's because his for divine forbearance. Why one flood instead of many floods? Because there were many times in history where human beings deserved a flood. Why not a thousand floods? Why does he allow sinful people to still exist and almost thrive in this world right now? It's not that he's ignoring the problem of sin, but he's waiting. His divine forbearance, he's patient. He's displaying that he really cares about people. So he's waiting and waiting to display his righteousness. And it says in verse 26, it is to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the righteousness of God is something that is, 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 is in God, that he's always right. At the same time, it's something that he does as well. He makes things right. How can he make wrong things right? It's through the redemption. It's through the propitiation. And it's through the, the, it's, it's through the declaring of, of righteousness that this is made right. And so what's the response in today's passage? How can we respond to a text like this? Well, I think there's two ways that we can respond. Number one is if you understand that this is the message of grace, that this is the gospel, then you should live your life in awe of God, right? Because there's nothing that you have done to deserve it, but it's all about God. And so for us, understanding that God has made us right by treating his right son wrong, that we should be willing to give our lives to Jesus and follow his footsteps, that we should thank God in worship. But I think there's also an evangelistic point that, you can, be, that can be made here. Because all have sinned. Last week we talked about this, how, you know, it seems like sometimes we judge people. We feel like that person is outside of the, 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 the work of salvation. And yet the Bible says all have sinned. Like we look different from ground level. But if you go up miles and miles on, on, a, on a plane, everything looks the same. Everything looks the same from God's view. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And yet God says all can be made right if they believe in Jesus Christ, meaning no one is outside the boundaries of salvation. Salvation is made available to everyone, and therefore we should share the gospel 
to everyone, knowing that this is God's plan. And so Easter is coming up, Resurrection Sunday. How are you going to spend this week? Um, there's a reason why Jesus went to the cross. Let's thank him and worship him for all that he has done. But at the same time, let's be intentional about leading someone to Christ in this season of Easter. Amen? Let's pray.